So the phrase looking forward is a phrase that we use sometimes, usually in relation to school or the end of something, right? Like I'm looking forward to the end of school or the end of a project or the end of a certain maybe day at the job. Uh, So we say things like I'm looking forward to summer, looking forward to finishing this project, looking forward to the end of the day is how we often use that phrase. Uh, But we don't say things like I'm looking forward to the end of my life. Or, I'm looking forward to spending eternity with Jesus. If, if we said something like that, our friends would look at us and be like, are you okay? Right? So we don't mind looking forward to next week, next month, or next year, but eternity. Most of us don't want to think about this concept of eternity, right? So uh, for those who, may not, who might be new, uh, back in 2013, so it's like been eight years, which is hard to believe, um, our, our lead pastor at the time, Gary DeSalva, was diagnosed with a serious form of eye cancer. And it was really crazy because we're all living our lives on staff, just having fun together, doing ministry together. And um, I will never forget that April day. Uh, that April day was a Wednesday, and we'd had our staff meeting that morning. We had lunch. And then that afternoon at some point, we got this message from someone, hey, come to the staff room. We need to have a meeting. And it was like, and I looked at Gary and Bev, and Bev was there, and, and they both seemed just upset, and I didn't know why. And I knew it was something that was going to be bad, and I, I had no idea what to expect. And so the whole staff gathers together in the room, and Gary gives us the news. And it was crazy because in that first meeting with, with them about this can- form of cancer, he already knew how serious it was. And he told us in that first meeting there is a good chance I'm not here in two years. And so we're all just like floored and everyone's upset and we're crying, we're emotional. And, uh, and I'll never forget after that day, I didn't sleep much that night or the following nights after that. And, uh, and after that, that, that news, like everything just felt really heavy. Like even like if I was on a vacation or somewhere else, everything just felt heavy to me. Like I couldn't get out of this, this fog that I was, we were all, we all going to be in for a few years. And, uh, Maybe you can relate to that. Maybe you can think of just losses that you've experienced in your own life, maybe through um, death of someone that you love or maybe through divorce, maybe loss of a relationship, friendship. And you might feel this unspoken pressure to not let yourself be affected by it, but you're really affected deeply in a real deep way by whatever's happened to you. And at some point, we are confronted with this reality that, that life is serious, or life gets serious. And I think we all kind of have that, that realization at some point in our lives. And, uh, and then the years and months that followed, I mean, Gary and Bev, um, we watched them as they kind of grieve these losses over the course of those years. And, but at the same time, I always saw in them that they would look forward. They would look forward to the presence of Jesus if that did come for Gary. That's what they looked forward to. And I know it was hard. I know it was so tough for both of them. But that was what they kept their eyes fixed on and what they kept our eyes fixed on as well. And then the next big milestone, which I'll never forget, was August 26, 2019. It was a day that Gary was in the hospital. And none of us had seen him for about two weeks. He'd been in the hospital for a couple weeks. And we got news that the staff, he wanted the staff to come to the hospital just, just to see him, or the family wanted us to come see him, because Gary was really kind of sedated, almost like unconscious at that point. And, and so we as a staff go up there on a Monday night, and our, many of our, our, a lot of our, the guys brought their wives with them that day. And uh, we're just going to sing, and we're going to praise, and we're going to 
pray for him and his family in that moment. And Gary's daughter, Sarah, meets us at the door of that hospital, and she says, you know, we're actually wanting you guys to pray and sing. And she goes, you know, who knows? Maybe he'll go see Jesus while we're all in here. And we go in, and for about 30 minutes, we're praying, we're crying, we're singing. And about 30 minutes after us starting that praise and prayer time, we all watched Gary pass to Jesus. And I don't know if... Uh, We don't think of death being like a miracle. But if there was ever one that, that I watched, I mean, I've never seen someone like, we watched someone die. It was just like really crazy experience. And yet, um, it was almost prophetic. And we show up at that exact moment and we praise and we, 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 we pray and we sing him into God's kingdom. And I'll never forget, even though, of course, we're sad, but also there was this weird joy in the room, like this joy of, like, the six years of cancer is over, and, and, and we can uh, be joyful that, that he's with Jesus. He's in the, in the presence of Jesus. And that was the thing that even Bev in that moment was keeping our eyes fixed on, was that Gary is with Jesus now. And I think um, I was, like, encouraged by the experience of just witnessing that, but also I felt like it was God's gift to us to say, hey, he's with me. He's in my presence now. And it was encouraging, but it was also like this haunting thing for me because um, I was forced to ask this question of myself. Am I looking forward to one day being in the presence of Jesus? And I think reflecting on this question has made me realize that I love this life too much. Sometimes I love the creation more than the creator himself. And so how do we look forward to the end? How do we look forward to eternity? Well, Jared Wilson, he writes this statement. He says, to practice the followership of Jesus is to believe that around the corner where we cannot yet go is the most wonderful thing we could ever imagine. In fact, it is beyond imagination, beyond what we can conceive. Descriptions cannot do this revelation justice. We hear the rumors of this place Read the travelogues of those precious few who trembled as though dead after spending mere seconds in that sacred space. And though we do not see it, we believe. There is a scene over in John chapter 13. Go ahead and turn your Bibles there if you have them. Where Jesus wants his disciples to look forward. And this is the Last Supper. This is the upper room discourse where Jesus is in that room. And from John 13 to 17 is this conversation that Jesus has with his disciples, and we get to be a fly on the wall and listen in to what Jesus is saying to his disciples and what they're saying back to him in that room. And this is all right before he goes to the cross. Now, right before this passage, Jesus had said, he said, I'm going, I'm, I'm going to go away, but I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And then Peter asked this question. Look at John 13. Verse 36, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I'll lay my life down for you. And Jesus answered, 
will you lay, lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. So everyone, I mean, we've heard a lot about Peter as we're reading the book of Mark in the main service because Peter was the one that told Mark a lot of those stories. And so we've heard a lot about Peter recently. But Peter likes to be bold and brash. That's his personality. He talks a big game. Um, you've all got friends like that, like someone who's kind of bold and brash. They talk a big game. And we forget at this point that the disciples are still pretty young in their faith. Whenever you and I think about Peter, we think about Peter the apostle, Peter the guy who wrote part of the Bible, the one who was crucified in Rome upside down because he didn't count it worthy to die in the same manner as his Savior Jesus. We think of Peter as this man of great faith, right? We forget that in his youth, he really struggled. Thirty years passed from the time he made this statement until the end of his life. He is still a pretty young believer. And I think people that are young in their faith, we tend to make great predictions about what we're going to do for Jesus. We've all done it. We've all, I've been guilty of it. D.A. Carson says about this, this idea, he says, sadly, good intentions in a secure room after good food are far less attractive in a darkened garden with a hostile mob. And at this point, Peter's intentions and self-assessment vastly outstrip his strength. And what he means by that statement is that Peter overestimates the strength of his own faith. And I think we all do this to an extent especially in our youth. So Peter's statement, he says, I'll give my life for you. When, when Peter says that statement, that statement wouldn't stand up over the next several hours because he would deny him three times. But it would stand up over the next 30 years because he ended up giving his life for Jesus. So I think it's an encouragement to us. We should take comfort knowing that the long game is what matters. Not the short game, the long game is what, what truly matters. We should also find comfort knowing that Jesus picked a, a traitor, a doubter, a denier, and that Peter has, Peter has no ability in his own strength to follow through on this statement that he's going to give up his life for Jesus. It's not until 30 years later when the Holy Spirit comes in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost and indwells believers. It's not until the Holy Spirit comes and empowers the church and empowers people like Peter and many of the apostles in the entire church. It's not until then that Peter is able to give up his life for Jesus. That's how the gospel works. Jesus gives up his life for his followers, and then his followers, because of the power of the Holy Spirit, are able to give up their life for the gospel. And then look over in John uh, 14, 1, the next first verse of John chapter 14. John 14, 1, where it says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. So why would their hearts be troubled here? Well, we didn't read this part, but they're in the upper room, of course, and he's told them he's going to go away. He's about to die. One of the 12 is going to betray him. Peter's going to deny him. That Satan's going to be at work against them and that they're all going to fall away. So Jesus has given them some, them some, some bad news. And so right now they're all a little bit worried about that. 
But I think, don't, don't just gloss over verse 1. It, it's, it's a verse that we would just, okay, believe in God, believe also in me. We just kind of gloss over it and move on to the next verse. We see a really important idea here. And the idea is this. We fight fear with faith. And that might seem very simple. But Jesus doesn't ever tell his followers to just, okay, don't be afraid. Don't be fearful. But he always challenges it. He says, he says, believe in God, believe also in me. Faith is something to be exercised. Faith, faith always needs to have an object. And, I, and, I, and I, I don't want you to miss this idea that if you're ever going to, if you're in a fearful place, if you're ever going to battle fear, it's going to be because of faith. You don't just avoid fear, but you exercise faith and you place your faith in the person of God. And this is how you, you battle fear in your life. And this is the challenge he lays down for the disciples. Then look at verse 2. It says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also, and you know the way to where I'm going. So there are many misconceptions about this passage because this was the passage when I was, a, when I was young in my faith that um, we would always say, you know, see, we're going to, because some translations will say the word mansion instead of rooms, and, uh, but rooms is actually a better translation, so spoiler alert, you're getting a room, not a mansion one day, um, just so you're aware. But, but how does Jesus give them hope in some darkness? Well, he gets them to look forward. And he says, I want you to look forward. You see, most of us read this and we miss what Jesus says. We read it and we focus on the place. Like, what, what's heaven going to be like? When I was young in my faith, even now, I think more about the place of what is heaven going to be like. But what does Jesus emphasize here? He emphasizes presence. He emphasizes his presence that we get to be present with the person of Jesus. He says, I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. His emphasis is not on the trappings or the place, but it's on the presence. He gets to be present with us for eternity. Whenever you and I try to imagine heaven, we always value place over person. But that's really strange because we don't even do that here in this life, do we? For many of you, when we plan an event with the high school ministry, the event itself is secondary. What do you all care about the most? You care who is going to be there, right? That's what you care about the most. The event itself is like, okay, that's, that's fine, but... That's not what's drawing me in. It's, are my friends going to be there with me? Like, that's what you care the most about. So who's going to be there? And if your friends aren't going, well, then chances are you're not going to go. This is true even just going just to see a movie. When I was in college, and this is going to show how old I am, but before we had cell phones. So I'm in college, and... Uh, and my friends were going to go see this movie. 
there was kind of a scary film back then called The Blair Witch Project, right? Becca's laughing. She knows what that movie is. Chris. So they're going to go see this movie, and, and we're going to go. And so they said, we're going to meet at this theater at this time. And so I get in my car. We were, we were all in the same spot, and we were going to leave to go to the, to the theater. I get in my car. I'm driving to the movie theater. And I get there, and I don't see any of them outside. I'm like, well, they must have already gone inside. So I paid my ticket. I go inside. It's a dark theater, of course. All of them are. And it's, you know, kind of a scary movie. So I'm walking in and uh, looking for my friends. They're not there yet. So I, I find a row where we can all sit on the same row and keep each other comfortable and sane. And, uh, and then, like, I don't see them coming in. And I'm like, where are they? I'm like, here by myself. This feels weird. And then the movie, like, the trailers begin, and I'm like, man, what, what in the world? Like, no, they're not here yet. They must have gotten stuck in traffic at 10 o'clock at night, maybe. I don't know. And, uh, and then the movie starts, and I'm like, and they're not there. And, like, what they did is they didn't do this intentionally, but they changed plans and had no way to communicate that with me, right? And so I watched the entire movie, like, alone and felt like the biggest loser, Right? Because I don't ever go to a movie theater by myself. Like, what's the point of doing that? And so the same is true for many of you, unless you're like a, a film nerd and you love to go critique films and stuff. But most of the time, we just, we do things with friends communally because we want to have their presence with us whenever we're doing anything, including watching a film or a movie. So in most of our decisions, even in this life, we value person over place. And so why would heaven be any different than that? Think about your most joyous moments. Your most joyous moments in your life are about relationships over anything else. And you see, um, when I look around, like at the news and stuff, there seems to be a lot of lonely, rich people. And so why would heaven be about place or about the trappings? You know, in verse 3, Jesus says, I will come again and take you to myself. And so what's the emphasis? The emphasis is on he wants us present with him. It's presence over place. So imagine the perks of heaven without the presence of Jesus. It wouldn't be heaven. Because Jesus is the point of heaven. Like, he is the point of heaven. And so most of us, if we get excited about heaven at all, we get excited about, like, the stuff or like what we've heard about what it's going to be like, or we see Jesus as there in heaven, but he's not like the focal point of heaven. Because heaven without Jesus would not be heaven at all. I like what Jared Wilson says. He says, if we do not follow the heavenly signposts of this world to the great face of our Lord Jesus Christ, we will miss out on both the joy of that world and the joys of this one. So Jesus is the point of that world, just as he is the point of this one that we're living in currently. Whenever I do a, I went to a wedding yesterday, uh, Kevin Beavers and Samantha Abair got married yesterday. They met in this youth group. Don't you guys get any ideas, all right? But, um, but they got married yesterday, and uh, it was a really fun wedding to be a part of, and I, I didn't do the wedding, I just got to attend, and... Uh, Whenever I do a wedding ceremony, I always tell the bride and groom that it's weird to say this at a wedding because it's like the point of the day is like the wedding ceremony and they're getting married and stuff. 
But I always say this, and it sounds kind of like a downer. I always say, guys, like, this wedding that's happening today isn't really the point. Like, this is actually to point to a greater thing, which is like a future wedding, like Jesus and his church. That's what this wedding is supposed to point towards. It's like a signpost towards that. And so let your life, let your marriage be pointing people to that one day, bigger feast, bigger wedding that's going to happen for all eternity. And that's, that's why God gave us marriage. God could have made things a lot more simple and just said, you know what, we'll just do like one-for-one one reproduction, kind of like the way cells do. We're not going to bring in all this other stuff, you know, and make it real complicated and like divorce and all that kind of stuff, right? He could have made it real simple, but he decided to make it reflect something great, which was his relationship to the church, which is kind of like a marriage. And it's his way of showing us the gospel in a real tangible way. And so it's always meant to point, and it's not just weddings and, and marriages, but there are so many things in this life that are like signposts meant to point us to something even greater. And so the question is, if we understand this, we're going to understand, we're going to get the joy of marriage, and we're not going to miss out on the joy of relationship with him either. I think many of us get so consumed with the signposts that we miss what it points to. We, we get so consumed with the shadow that we miss out on the substance of what he's really trying to communicate to his people. There's an old sermon by a, a guy named George Whitfield who, he was speaking this, I think, to um, young women around the marrying age. And here's what he said. This is just a little part of this sermon. He says, he says, do you desire one that can love you? None can love you like Christ. His love, my dear sisters, is incomprehensible. His love passes all other loves. The love of the Lord Jesus is first, without beginning. His love is free without any motive. His love is great without any measure. His love is constant without any change. And his love is everlasting. And so this, this sounds kind of cliche to say this, but if you don't really believe this, then you're going to settle, settle for lesser loves throughout your life if you don't get what all this is supposed to point towards. Like every deep desire that you and I have in this life, this side of heaven, is really a signpost that's meant to point to him. And so the question is, how do we look forward to the end? Well, first I think we have to see the good gifts of this life as a signpost that ultimately point to him and to his kingdom and to his gospel. But how do we look forward to the end? We've got to stop thinking of it as the end and stop thinking of it in those categories. And so um, this morning what we're going to do is I'm going to pray for you, and then um, I think we'll do like just one big guys group and one big girls group. Is that okay? Can we do that? I'm kind of limited on leaders today as well, so we'll do it that way. Um, I'm going to pray for you, and I've got discussion sheets up here in the front you guys can grab. Let's pray together. God, thank you for um, your word. Thank you that you, you give us good things in this life. These are blessings and gifts from you, but they're not meant to replace you. And God, help us to see those things as signposts pointing to you, pointing to your gospel, pointing to your kingdom. God, I pray that um, whatever these students that are sitting here today might be walking through just personally, in their families, in their own personal lives, I pray that um, you'd bring them peace, bring them comfort, help them to see that you're 
a God who is good. And um, ultimately, they would, they would come to you and, and surrender, whether it's for the first time in their life, for salvation, or it's just this like, a continual surrender we're supposed to live in as a Christian, as a follower of Christ. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right, so I guess y'all can just pick, like,